Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello to you all. So this episode is a slightly longer one, but it will be worth it because I am chatting with Austrian winemaking extraordinaire Lenz Moser. You will learn a little bit about how he and his winemaking father and grandfather changed the Austrian winemaking landscape. But the big focus is on China. Welcome to the wonderful growing world of Chinese wine. We're going to focus mainly on Ningxia, which is where his winery is. But you'll learn a little bit more about the other regions, vintages, the terroir of this region, how it's advancing so much to learn about and we're going to be tasting some of the delicious wines of Chateau Shangu Mosa 15 as we go along and don't forget there is a transcript to download should you find that some of the Chinese words you have no idea how to spell so let's go over to the chat with Lens now Lens, thank you so much for joining me. It's literally an honor to have you here. You're a massive inspiration for me. Glad to be on this podcast. Thank you. So the reason I'm so excited to talk to you, as you already know, I think, your daughter, Sophie Marie, worked with me for a few months, so we got to know each other. I was selling your Lawrence Five Wines back in the day when I was a sommelier. So I really got to know you in that regard. And then... A few years ago, I set a challenge to my family and I said, I don't want any presents for my birthday, but we're going to have one incredible meal out. And I said to them, everybody has to bring a premium wine, the price you would spend on a present for me, but it has to be a special wine and it has to have a story. And so I was very proud. My parents turned up with a white Cabernet Sauvignon from China. Would you believe? Have you wow. have you heard of that? <laughs> wow, wow. This is cool. Yeah. Yes. And so my first introduction to, well, shall I say a very good Chinese wine was this one. And so obviously I've ruined it now. Now you know we're going to talk about your fantastic Chinese wines. So yeah, my favorite subject subject anyway. Good. I love it. I'm very, very happy. Now, Lens, you are a fantastic winemaker. I'm sure many, many people tell you about so can you just start us from the beginning in terms of how was it to grow up in Austria with actually such an inspiring wine family? Your granddad did an awful lot of things, so I'm sure you're about to tell me. So how was that? Well, I guess I did not have much choice other than <laughs> choosing wine as my life. Okay. Because I always referred to myself to be a single child with four sisters because I'm, mm-hmm. I was the oldest of my siblings. Mm-hmm. And and so I, I got in touch with wine at the very, very early stages. And I have to say, it was my grandfather who really put me on on, on the wine idea from a very early age. Mm-hmm. I, was, I recall when I was six or seven years old, he would come every second uh, Saturday and ask me to go with him in the vineyards because he was a vineyard man 100% because he was the, the one who invented modern trellising. So whenever you see wires in a vineyard, that was his idea about mm-hmm. 90 years ago. And therefore, every every other time I said yes. And he taught me everything I know about viticulture and vineyards and soil management and climate and, and, and love of mother nature at this stage and he did it in such a nice way he was not uh, the guy who said you have to and you must not but he he, he told me stories and uh, ever since i got in- infected by the wine bug <laughs> really infected yeah, it happens absolutely. it happens <laughs> absolutely and, and that got me started and then when i when i got older and that that's the other story with my father I approached 17 18 19 20 mm-hmm. and i still did not drink wine Mm-hmm. So my father was getting really nervous with me. Uh, Did you I, I like was, it? Uh, I, I love to taste. No, no, no. I love to taste. I love to taste and I had a lot of respect for, for the product. But mm-hmm. uh, I was amongst my friends and students, uh, fellow students. I was the only sober guy. So I was always the designated <laughs> driver, um, which which I thought was fun because at three o'clock in the morning, I was still wide awake and, and I, I just... Uh, 
I could get my friends back home to where they lived, but um, responsible, took... but cause for concern for your father. I see. Absolutely. So he <laughs> uh, he said, "What's going on with the guy?" But as a clever man he was, at the age of uh, 23, he sent me uh -huh. to California on a stage to a couple of wineries, amongst them Robert Mondavi. Mm. I spent five months there, and I still didn't drink wine, so they couldn't what? believe it either. No, okay. no, they couldn't believe it. But uh, Americans are very pragmatic. They said, "Okay, let's do the usual thing." So they started me an American beer, and as you know. <laughs> American beer is not real beer. It tastes like lemonade. So I got to taste alcohol for the first time uh, a long, long time ago when I was uh -huh. a student still in, in California. And then all of a sudden, uh, three or four months uh, into my stay, I started tasting wine. Well, I tasted wine anyway, but I started drinking wine. You and were swallowing I, it. <laughs> absolutely. I did swallow it. And when I came back home, my father was very surprised. Uh, when we shared a meal. Yeah, I'm very, very proud of himself <laughs> because he sent me on this trip. Yeah. So that's that's my story in a nutshell. Amazing. So then at that point, you were drinking the wine, you were appreciating the wine, and you said, right, I'm going to be a winemaker? I, I didn't even think about my, my choice Oh, it was just uh, in, the destiny. It was, it was, uh, yeah, I was, I, I think I was very fortunate because I think, uh, and it's a blessing because the earlier you start with your profession, mm -hmm. uh, with your challenge in life, with your ambition, I think the more the chance you have to excel because you have an advantage over people who decided this at an age of 25 or 30 what to do. Um, so I had at least uh, 15 to 20 years of an advantage in terms of experience and everything in our trade, in our business. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I consider me, myself uh, being very lucky. And I don't mind that I didn't have a choice at all. <laughs> so where did you study? In Austria or did you study in America? No, I studied in, uh, in Austria. I, I went to, um, how do you say... Uh, college um, mm -hmm. uh, with uh, I was very conservatively brought up with Latin and Greek uh, mm -hmm. during school time. Uh, then after my final exams, I, I did two things. I went to Vienna University to study economics mm -hmm. with English and French. And uh, I, I, I did a, as a side hustle. I studied uh, winemaking at Klosterneuburg and at the University of Vienna as well. So mm -hmm. I have um, a double education, apart from the fact that my, my, my parents and my grandfather taught me everything about vineyards and winemaking in the cellar as well, because, you know, we, we grew up, I grew up uh, within a winery, so nothing was strange to me. It does help, <laughs> it does help, I tell you. And so did you find, you mentioned Robert Mondavi, is he also one of the other main figures that influenced you, helped you? No, no, he, I think among all my mentors, um, without disregarding my parents, uh, I should say, that uh, my grandfather was was the more one who taught me everything about vineyards mm -hmm. uh, and and the love of nature as i said before and and bob mondavi himself whom i had the pleasure of knowing for 35 years and consider him a, as a friend mm -hmm. um, not just working with him and for him he was the one who inspired me most when it came to marketing the wine because ah, okay. he was american mm -hmm. and I, I i can tell you his story um, today as it as he, he would tell me 30, 40 years ago already when I was a student. So it's it's most amazing what kind of giant he was in our industry. Mm. What did you learn most from him? You said the marketing. What was the advice that he gave you? Well, first, uh, he always said wine has to taste good and not just by the critics, uh, but uh, it has to taste good in the eyes of the consumer, number mm -hmm. one. And number two was make a better wine year after year and you will have a, a loyal following, building mm -hmm. your own name and your own brand. So it's, it was these simple things which, which still make me tick today because it's not too complicated. Wine marketing is not rocket science. It, it, it's, it's got to do with the product. But mm -hmm. if you take the analogy of Steve Jobs as well, when you read the book about him, the authorized biography, 80% uh, of his time he was spending on the product. And that's why we all love our iPhones. This is and, true. And it, it's, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you know, the, the focus on, on, on the final product, on the final wine in your glass, and, and together with the package, with the quality of the image attached to it, this is something uh, which makes me get up every morning 
because this is something which builds a business over time. Mm-hmm. Also, having said that, it's not going to be built overnight. It takes still decades. It's not a brand is not built overnight. Well, we talk about a brand. We should probably talk about how you were uh, running Lawrence Five in Austria. And that's now sold, and you are now making the wines at Chateau Shangu Mosa 15. So you've gone a little bit further afield, all the way to China. So, yeah, how did that happen? <laughs> well, um, about 16 years ago, I, I had the pleasure of founding an importing company together with some some friends of mine. Mm-hmm. We were um, having about 10 uh, brands. Uh, under our belt, mm-hmm. like Lawrence Five Austrian Gruder, we had some wines from California, we have Italian wines, we had French wines, but one mentor, also a good mentor of mine from Holland, mm-hmm. uh, he said, Lens, choose at least one quirky, one not so obvious project. And he sent me off to China. Mm. Uh, and I had no idea where to go. I, <laughs> although I have to say, I have to say, in the in the early nineties, um, with Lens Moser Winery, we were, we were partly owned by Remy Martin. Okay. At the time, they had a stake of twenty five percent in the winery, and with that came their Chinese joint venture called Dynasty. Mm-hmm. And so, for a brief period of time, we were distributing Dynasty white wine. Mm-hmm. It was just called white. So I had a little idea, but I never traveled to China and I, I, I could pitch myself because I should have done at the time because I wanted to see always the old China where there was only bicycles in the, in the streets. And in the 90s, this was the fact. Oh, really? Only the, yeah, yeah, it was uh, until 95, 96, there was only bicycles in China. And then all, all of a sudden the country exploded mm-hmm. to what I considered to be one of the most modern countries in the world, judging from infrastructure and mindset of people. Mm-hmm. And um, so I went to China. I touched uh, ground for the first time on the on the eighth of August, uh, two thousand fifteen. Good memory. Yeah. I'll, no, I'll never forget that because it was a game changer for me, and I fell in love with this country immediately. And I got to know Chang Yu. Um, selected them for a simple reason. I had no about no idea about the industry. But after this trip of about 10 days, uh, visiting 10 different wineries, I made up my mind and Chang Yu was by then for me the best proposition to to take on board, uh, to export to Europe. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, the lady did the trip, Mrs. Tan. Uh, she greeted me on my first day in China from Chang Yu. She spoke beautiful English and I worked with her for 15 years until she retired last year. Fantastic. And I owe her immensely because she got me on board with Chang Yu the minute we mm. met. So we really clicked immediately and had had so much fun, uh, had so much fighting at the same time because China <laughs> is, 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 is not, it's not a honeymoon all the time. It's, it's an interesting country. They like their, their fair fight as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I, 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 I was happy to choose them and I never looked back. And Chang Yu actually are the largest winery in China, yes, correct? Uh, yes, Chang Yu is, is, is the largest, is the oldest and is the most profitable uh, winery in China at the same time. Yet uh, I don't work with the big mothership. I work with just one tiny little bit of it uh, with Chang Yu Mosa 15, the chateau placed in Ningxia which is only 250 hectares and that's what I'm, I'm responsible. This is your baby. And this is my baby mm-hmm. until, until 2015, I, I tried to turn the big wheel with headquarter and with wines, which, which were at the time not ready for the market, had no story, the quality, the expense, too expensive and so on and so forth. So we, we together, we, we made some mistakes, but uh, thank God we had this learning curve. So we got together in 2015 and said we need a game changer and that was when i i started to make the the wine mm-hmm. starting from zero uh, also doing the brand architecture the concept the strategy the 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 distribution setup and everything and of course making very very good wines from china and put the chateau amongst the very very best uh from china now you say that you started actually making the wines in 2015. Was that when Shangyu Moser 15 also existed? It existed already from 2013 onwards. Mm-hmm. It was the, the chateau was completed 
in 2013. It looks like a Disneyland castle. It's unbelievable. It's it's, it's unreal, but it's really stunning. It's really stunning. And it was I, I was there at the inauguration. It was the 18th of August 2013. Mm -hmm. um, because another memorable day because they <laughs> flew me in. No, they flew me in for 24 hours. So uh, together with Sophie, by the way, she was at my side. Oh, lovely. At the time, I gave my speech and, 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 and 10 TV interviews or whatever mm -hmm. because you know when China does something, they they, they go always big. big. <laughs> Uh, flew in, flew out. Um, and then for two years, I did sales and marketing for what existed uh, from the Chateau at the time. Mm -hmm. But it didn't work out because, because again, the quality was not uh, where the, the international consumer mm -hmm. expected us to be. Mm -hmm. And then came June uh, 2015, when the chairman, Mr. Joe and uh, Mr. Sun, the CEO, got together on a famous conference call I'll never forget that because uh, we were screaming at each other. <laughs> and, and But at the end, it was a good debate because uh, the chairman said, well, stop complaining about the quality we are shipping. Why don't you make your own wine? <laughs> and that was really was it was translated. But this was exactly the words of the translator. Why don't you make your own wine? And uh, I said, wow, make me an offer. Uh, two days later, I signed the contract. Same. And a month later, I went to China for three months in, in, in one piece. I got to know Ningxia as a region much better than, than before. Uh, got to know my competition before I started making wine. Made the wine, done the brand architecture, and so on and so forth. And uh, one and a half years later, we went to market. And uh, I can, can say that it was a very, very successful launch of our wines internationally. Well, I feel like talking enough of these wines, I need to taste one. So we're going to take a pause on that. So we're going to talk about the white Cabernet Sauvignon, which you market as the Blanc de Noir. And this is in the Moser family range. So this is the first white Cabernet of China. How did that happen? <laughs> Well, it's not just the first uh, white Cabernet from China. It's the first white Cabernet ever. Boom. It's, it's completely innovative. Uh, but the simple reason is that we that we had no whites to play with mm. uh, when I started. So uh, we had we had at the time uh, 250 hectares of Cabernet Sauvignon. And I needed a white for exports to Europe. You just don't export to Europe without a white. Mm -hmm. And and so uh, we came up with the idea uh, in, in the second year. So we started in 2016. Mm -hmm. So that was my second harvest of trying something like uh, a Seigneur from Cabernet Sauvignon. Mm -hmm. Nobody believed that it could work because it hasn't been done before because Cabernet Sauvignon is full of color. <laughs> There's something very special in Ningxia. We have the smallest berries from Cabernet in the world because it's desert climate. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine how much color is in there. So you need to be very, very quick to do it. And the result was very, very good to, to taste. Uh, the market reacted very, very favorably in uh, China and outside of China. And the rest is history mm. because we, we've done now our, our, our fifth vintage of, of white Cabernet and it's working. Oh, it's beautifully perfumed. So this is the 2018 that I'm drinking. Yes. Now, yes. I don't remember what uh, what vintage I had of the, the last one when I said when my parents uh, brought us the bottle. So presumably 2016 or 2017. But yes, yes. Master I remember from the last one, it was just rich and round and intense. And you've got that exact same style. But actually, I think this one has more finesse. This yes, got, yes, yes, yes. Have yes, you yes. changed things up a bit? You're using Yes, some, of course. No, yeah. no, we, 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 we are learning. And, and as I said, uh, the most important thing is that you're humble enough uh, to go to a foreign country and not use your techniques, which you have been using for, for decades mm. at home or somewhere else. Uh, you need to get to know the country, the climate, uh, the grapes, the vineyards, the people in particular. And then uh, you form a team with them. And, and then you try something and it's because winemaking is never a one man show. Of course, someone has to have the last responsibility mm -hmm. uh, and the last decision making. Yes, that's true. But uh, at the end, I'm a team player uh, working on consensus. And <laughs> I was really happy to take well, with wide uh, eyes wide open, I have to say when I when we tried the first uh, white Cabernet, because I'll remember the first vintage, we did 120,000 bottles worth of, of white Cabernet in 16. Okay. And that really knocked the bosses uh, off their socks because the, the first question was, well, what the hell are we doing with this? <laughs> uh, 
where are we going to sell it? And uh, well, we were lucky. We sold every drop we could uh, from the first vintage already. Mm -hmm. But I knew uh, following Bob Mondavi's law to get better year after year that we had to work on, on the style of the wine, not the quality. I think the quality is a given, but mm -hmm. uh, we tried to refine it every year to get it even more elegant, yes. more finesse, mm -hmm. uh, more drinkability, less alcohol, less color. And um, I don't want to promise too much, but the 19 will be released very, very shortly. And um, it's again a, a development uh, and, and, and the quantum leap in terms of style, mm. refinement. Now, it's interesting you say about the color. I'm just holding it up against a little bit of white paper to see it now. It, it, oh, I want to say it's, it's like a slightly golden amber. It does have that slight onion skin. I think if somebody said, okay, here's, a, here's your Provence or something, you would believe yeah. them. But it's just that little bit more yellowy than what I would get with the Provence. But lovely and pale, beautifully pale. So, you know, it is in between almost a white wine and a rosé in terms of the colour that I'm looking at. Yes, that's the 18 still. But uh, the future is white okay. because I want to be able to call it white Cabernet. Okay. Because that's unique um, and it's not difficult to make, but it, you have to be very daring and you have to be very fast in doing it. Because all we do is taking Seignier or the free run. Mm -hmm from the crusher already. So this is never going to press or something. Okay. You have about 10, 15, 20 minutes, depending the year, until That's the it. color turns really? slightly pinkish and red. Okay. Half an hour later, it's red. Uh, you have red So in 15 the minutes, the time is ticking 15 minutes, from crushing. That's it. That, that, yeah, mm -hmm. Absolutely. So you have to be quick. So we have two hoses. And what, what really makes us happy, it's a win-win situation also for our red wines because we did juice by about 10% mm -hmm. into the, the, the Blanc de Noir or White Cabernet. And from the same grapes, meaning that we have to work with mature grapes, we make a red wine as well, Helen Mountain Red. Mm -hmm. And um, so we get about 10% more concentration and, and that's what I consider a win-win situation. On one hand, you have a, a super new innovative white Cabernet and on the other hand, you get a slightly con more concentrated um, and naturally concentrated uh, red which is working beautifully as well. Now you say you do that method and that obviously helps concentrate the Helen Mountain range, the Cabernet Sauvignon, which I'm going to drink in a second. Yes. However, right now, because you do make the Blanc de Noir in that Helen Mountain range, but right now I'm drinking the slightly more premium Blanc de Noir, which is the Moser family line. So do you do the exact same thing, the Sanya method as in bleeding off of the Cabernet Sauvignon to help concentrate the Cabernet Sauvignon in the Moser family range as well? Yeah, it's the same principle. It's just different vineyards, mm -hmm. different grapes, different selection process, but it, at the end, it's the same thing. Okay. Only uh, that the, the Moser family range has been aged in wood mm. and the red wine in used oak and the white Blanc de Noir from Moser family is has been aged in, in completely new French oak in order to give it more longevity and more character. Yeah, and you can smell that s slight spiciness, but it for me... It's almost a little bit like a slight honeycomb note or even like a bit of barley or wheat, like slightly going through kind of a farmer's field, but this kind of really perfumed peach. It's it's lovely or some like almond skins. It's it's really mature, but just beautifully perfumed and lovely and fresh. And it's a white Cabernet Sauvignon. I mean, this is fantastic. Yeah, and another secret which nobody believes yet, but uh, we do know already, a white Cabernet keeps on the bottle. So it can age on the bottle beautifully. So we don't, there's no need to rush it off uh, right after fermentation and bottling to the consumer mm. uh, because it has the DNA of Cabernet Sauvignon and therefore it has longevity as well. Don't ask me why this is because we take a lot of the tannins out and we take the color out. So that's the two main elements we are taking out of Cabernet Sauvignon. Yeah. But we know still it ages extremely well on the bottle. Mm. I mean, this I'm going to go with so people can understand a bit Viognier style, but with more acidity because it has all that yes. peach and perfume and it's yeah. quite fat. It's quite rich. It's voluptuous. But as I said to you, the finesse is really there and that's what's giving it great balance. And as you said, drinkability. I'll be able to drink more than a glass. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yep. What would you pair with this? Well, it's a very, very universal wine. You can pair it with 
with a lot of dishes. I even had it with steak, but best it goes with white meat and fish. Mm -hmm. uh, but I had it also already with hard cheese. I had it with pasta. It has two worlds. It has the DNA of Cabernet, yes, but uh, since we took out the color and the tannins, it's much softer than a red mm -hmm. and therefore it works with a lot of foods. Mm. I mean, I think for me, again, it would go really nicely with some sh with shellfish, some really juicy fat prawns. <laughs> ah, for sure. No, don't get me going. Yeah, you're right. A little yeah. bit of spice in there, some red chili, a little bit of coriander. Pork would go nicely as well. Yeah, and, and you were absolutely right with the spice because we always uh, make the wines also with a big eye on China. Ah, yes, I Cuisine, uh, and of as course. You, no, no, and, and, and Chinese cuisine, you know, you have seven different cuisines or eight, I should even say. Eight? Different, uh, yeah, eight different, you know, from Sichuan uh, uh, to course, Guangzhou yeah. to Shanghai to, to the Beijing cuisine and so on. Most of the, the cuisine in China has some sort of is spiced mm -hmm. or is hot. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not only talking about Sichuan, but also the, the further south you go, the, the hotter the food gets. And then it becomes very, very difficult with with wine pairings. I mean, forget forget uh, tannic cabernet. It's, it's it's a no go. But with this particular wine, with some oiliness and the aftertaste and lots of extracts, uh, it works beautifully beautifully with Chinese food. And that's also the reason why it's very successful in China itself. Mm, could go with some teriyaki as well if we start going out yep, to China absolutely. and down towards absolutely. Japan as well. I'm just thinking yep, about it. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, obviously, if anyone offers me a lobster, I'm just going to take it. All right, Lens, I'm taking yeah. I'm taking the lobster if someone brings it to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, I want to stop for a second. We're obviously going to go on to the Cabernet Sauvignons after this, but you were always a Gruner Veltlina winemaker. You know, you grew up in Austria. The Lawrence 5 range was dedicated entirely to Gruner Veltlina. Wasn't it your granddad did a massive impact in bringing Gruner Veltlina back? So, how do you feel about leaving behind Gruner Veltlina and now pretty much solely focusing on Cabernet Sauvignon? Well, uh, my life has been centered around building the generic Gruner from Austria mm -hmm. uh, my entire career because my grandfather, at, as I said before, in, at the very early stages, six, seven, eight years old, he always talked about Gruner being the future grape of Austria. And uh, he has had a nursery at the time as well. And 50% and of the nursery's output was always Gruner Vetlina at the time already, even when people didn't label it Gruner. Mm -hmm. Because at the time we had fantasy names oh, like really? Alter Knabe and, uh, and Saurüssel and, and, and White Stork and all these names. White Stork. In Austria. White Stork. That's yeah, the only and, one I can and, pronounce of what you've just said. Yeah. So. <laughs> and Alter Knabe is old guy and, and Saurüssel means the nose of a, of a pig. What? What's that? Why? Yeah. Why would you yep. call Grunewald Lena the nose of a pig or an old guy? What? Yeah, because in the past, until the late 70s, Austria uh, did not have the varietal system uh, we have now. Mm -hmm. uh, our, our wines were called either in Austria fantasy names or uh, names of villages of little towns or regions like Wachau, like mm -hmm. Krems, like Vienna, mm -hmm. like Gumpoldskirchen, like Weinviertel and so on. So that was how I grew up. But uh, my family and I, we really changed that in the early 80s when I came back from from my stage at, uh, at, at for instance, Robert Mundavi, where I learned varietal systems, okay. Cabernet, Sauvignon, Mello, and so on. And so for the first time, we put Grüner Betlina on a label mm -hmm. in Austria. That was uh, rather revolutionary. So uh, that's that's how I started uh, with my family. I started uh, Gruner in Austria, having tons of fun because from day one it was very very successful because people in Austria and then beyond Austria they always loved it, and hence I always came back to to Gruner. Mm, okay, but now do you feel like you miss it now that you? No, I don't miss it because <laughs> what you don't know. <laughs> It's a brand new project since what? March the 8th of this year. I've launched a project uh, called New Chapter, which is a new super premium Gruner together with, with a friend of mine, with Markus Huber Wines ah, from yes. Treisenthal. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you, you, yes. you, maybe you've seen it uh, on Instagram already. No, but I know about Markus Huber, so I'm excited that yeah, the two of you have come yeah. together. Carry on. No, we've come together because we are friends for a lifetime. I mean, Amazing. He's, he's much younger than I am. And uh, he, he got me at the, at the trade show last year when it still was possible to go to trade show with the next one in Paris. Uh -huh. And he said, let's, let's do a project together okay. because he knew that I was I sold my share in, in Lawrence 5 mm -hmm. uh, six years ago. Yep. 
then five and um and i said ah come on i'm not starting it over i'm china now and this is it <laughs> uh, but he insisted a uh, young boy uh-huh. as he is um and we came up with just one wine okay. and we're launching it as we speak globally and we're already in 15 countries and uh it's it's, it's going to be as something which which is going to create the category of a 30 pound bottle okay um on a shelf lovely and on the restaurant list 60 70 uh, quid mm-hmm. in your country mm-hmm. uh, because i want to make sure together with marcus that um, gruner leaves the german-speaking world to a greater extent than it's now because at the moment uh 90 percent of Gruner is sold in the German-speaking world and only 10% for the rest of the world. Mind you, in the German-speaking world, we only have 100 million people mm-hmm. and the rest of 7.7 billion people have 10% of Gruner. This is not fair and we want to change that. I'm glad you're going to change it. So this is going to be called New Chapter Gruner. New Chapter Gruner. Yeah. We call it Tomorrow's Gruner Today because we, we anticipate uh, the fashion of Gruner in the next five to ten years turning to something much more acceptable for the international palette. That's what we did. We blended something really delightful and the first critics uh, and the first uh, sales have been proving our point already. Amazing. So you say more for the international market. Have you gone slightly softer in terms of style? Yes, we have, we've gone away from the super, super spice of Gruner, mm-hmm. which sometimes can be off-putting and made it much more elegant. So we turned away from the super, super varietal character and softened it a little bit, but uh, underlying the whole thing with, with, with a sens- sensational quality. Uh, picking uh, from uh, Marcos's 150 hectares, the filet pieces and blending it to something uh, which which is going to rock the boat uh, for Gruner in the world. Okay, I love that. Well, maybe that's going to have to be another podcast. But right now, we're supposed to be talking about China. So yes. let's get back on topic. <laughs> yes, now, you started it. I know, it's my fault. But hey, listen, you are Mr. Gruner. So I'm so glad <laughs> yep. that there is now a little project that's been squeezed out. But back yep. to China. Now, yes. let's talk about the region, Ningxia. Now, I think I've heard you say this is the Napa Valley of China. Why? Why is it the Napa Valley of China? Well, big word, but um, <laughs> I think, uh, well, because Napa is... is it's just is famous. <laughs> a, a, a unbelievable. But believe me, I'm old enough. Uh, I have traveled uh, to Napa a long, long time ago mm-hmm. when I was still uh, just off high school. A whippersnapper. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, 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 and Napa was nowhere uh, 40 years ago, 35 yeah, years ago. It's, it's only the polished little thing we know from today. So Bob Mondavi was instrumental, but also Joe Heitz and, and some other wineries, they really did a great job in promoting this. And the same is, is, is happening now in Ningxia, quite frankly. Okay. Uh, we are at the beginning. There's about 100 wineries uh, operating right now. This is the big place now, really, isn't it, where everyone's going it's, to? It's, it's not the big place, but it's the, the, the hot place. It's okay. the in place because everybody... Uh, knows now that eight out of ten top wines from China come from Ningxia. Is the largest place Shandong right now? The largest place is it was still with 40% of the production in China is Shandong. Shandong, okay, cool. Then is about 30% is Xinjiang mm-hmm. uh, in the very west. And then Ningxia is, is relatively small with maximum... 20% of the production of China. Okay, but this is if the but this is the place people should start paying attention to, right? With absolutely. like 3000 hours of sunshine, right? Absolutely. So it's more than Bordeaux and that's why we picked it as early as as uh, 2009 to to place Chateau Changimosa 15 in Ningxia. So the decision we did together, I was then just marketing and sales, but uh, Mr. Joe, the chairman, sent me to to ch- throughout China and said, "Okay, where would you like uh, our partnership uh, with the chateau?" And um, it took me about three weeks in order to confirm what they had in mind already, uh, which is Ningxia, because okay. uh, we we felt that this is going to be the hotspot of the future for for, for winemaking in China. And thank God we did that because we were right. But it's a crazy place, right? Very continental because we're talking super sunny during the summer and then minus 25 degrees Celsius in the winter. Yes, absolutely true. So we have to bury the wines in the winter with about 40 centimeters of soil on top of the vines. 
so that's that's a hardship basically for us but at the end it's doable mm. and it has advantages as well because we have in a very rough climate we have about four to five months uninterrupted sleep for the vines so when we unbury them uh, at the end of March, we have butt break in, in, in a week. So it's it's from a viticultural point of view, it's no problem at all. And how do you bury them? Because do not worry about, because you're putting the whole vine underneath. Do you have to bend the vines at all? Or you literally just create these huge mountains? Yes, you're right. You have to imagine a vineyard being pruned at mid-November, okay. which is unusual because in Europe we of prune course. in the spring. Mm. Uh, so we prune before for a good reason, because we, we, we want to bury only next year's vine tree. Okay. But uh, what we do nowadays in order to bend, not to have to bend it 90 degrees, we, we, we grow the vineyards or the vine trees with 45 degrees. Ah, so we have to secret. bend it only 45 degrees. Yeah, that's the secret. Otherwise, you know, we had, would have too much damage. Mm -hmm. And then what you do basically uh, after pruning, you, you bend them down with, with hand and you plow them in with a tractor. Wow. So that's the easy part. Oh. So plowing in is relatively uh, easy. But coming out? But un undoing, <laughs> uh, coming out, you have to, this is all hand labor because you know it would be too dangerous Oof. to do it with a tractor mm -hmm. again. So that's a little bit of hardship. But again, I think the upside is that you have healthy, healthy wines from the start in the spring. But do you have any problems with frost though? No, Want, no? not so far. Okay. No, touch wood. So far, not yet. Good, we like that. So tell us a little bit more about the terroir, the soils, the altitudes. Well, Nixia is, is uh, as I said, it's uh, at the moment it's the promised land <laughs> in China. Uh, although we have some other great regions as well. We have Hebei outside of Beijing is also mm -hmm. very good. We have Shaanxi where Grace Vineyard is also a very nice region. We have Aoyun in, in Shangri-La in, in the Yunnan province. But this is all smaller. But uh, Ningxia speciality is desert climate at 1100 meters altitude, mm. um, about 300 kilometers from south of Mongolia, okay. just for the c consumer to picture, and 1200 kilometers west of Beijing, so completely landlocked. Mm -hmm. um, therefore, it's desert climate, but we have the Yellow River meandering through Ningxia uh, and no people on the way from the Himalayas down, so we have enough water to irrigate. So everything has to be irrigated because uh, we have rainfall on average per year, 150 millimeters, which is absolutely desert mm, climate. Mm. Well, thank God for the river then. <laughs> yeah, no, otherwise, you know, forget it. So this shows how strategic China thinks and that that's always amazing. There's always a plan behind it because 30 years ago, Ningxia was a, the coal mining district of China. So all mm -hmm. the coal they were producing uh, basically came from Ningxia um, and and the then governor had a vision and said okay what if coal mining will will end one day what do we do with this piece of land uh, of which he know that it was very fertile because we have very fertile soil at the end yeah mm -hmm. he decided to to position Ningxia as the province of tourism and agriculture and he's done it very very successful with wine the result is 35,000 hectares of, of vineyard land, which is comparable to New Zealand acreage Okay. in the end. Mm -hmm. And it's all based on, on as you said, uh, 3,000 sunshine hours, 1,100 meters altitude, which gives us something which is very, very important. Uh, warm days, but cool nights mm -hmm. to keep the freshness and the acidity. And all this cocktail together gives us the smallest Cabernet Sauvignon berries in the world. Oh, really? Uh, which, yeah, of course, <clears throat> because the, the, the berry has to protect itself uh, against uh, desert climate. We have about 20% humidity in Ningxia, mm -hmm. as opposed to London, around 100. Mm. So that gives you the, the, the spread. And therefore, in order to not to evaporate uh, the water in the berry, we have very thick berries. And as we all know, the taste comes not from the juice itself, but from the from the skins, yeah. basically, mm -hmm. especially in reds, where you have the color and the tannins and all the good stuff in there. Mm -hmm. And therefore, the skin to choose ratio is very favorable for winemaking. And hence, um, Best of China is absolutely doable from Ninsha. But 
as I said, best of China is is, is not enough. We we have to take on the international challenge as well. Mm-hmm. No, I understand. And what about the soils? What are the soils? The soils is basically loamy, sandy soils. Okay. It's as simple as that. Uh, and the closer you get to the Heilan Mountains, which is the dominant range in, in Ningxia, running from north to south to protect us against the inner Mongolia winds in, in the winter mm-hmm. and also in the summer, which is really cold sometimes there. And therefore, from a soil perspective, it's, 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 it's all good because it's, it's fertile soil. Not too, because it's, it gets getting a little bit rockier towards the mountains. Mm-hmm. You might ask me also the question, why, why there is no mountain wine? Because in the mountains, there's only stones and you cannot cover the, 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 the vines with stones. So ah. the, it's all in the plains yeah, okay. of Ningxia. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Now, you said you're on altitude, but are you planted on the slopes or actually is it flat where the vines are? No, it's all flat. It it's all flat. flat. Mm-hmm. It's all flat. Uh, and it has to be flat uh, in the past also. Because, because again, covering uh, the vines. <laughs> absolutely. And, and in the past, we only did flood irrigation. Mm-hmm. And that was that you only can do in, in the plains as well, in the flatland. Okay. Now we, we are much, much more sophisticated. We, we work with drip irrigations as well because uh, we use too much water. So we, we are very cognizant of, of the environment as well. Bad. Well, actually, you're planning on turning the vineyards completely biodynamic soon, aren't you? Is this a plan? Yes, that, that was the plan last year. But since I couldn't travel, we, we, we postponed the okay. project. Because uh, you have to be there, because my family has a lot of expertise in biodynamic in particular. My father was the first one in 78 to turn a holy state in Austria for the first time into biodynamic in 1978. Mm. And ever since, we, we are, have been um, very, very close to organic and biodynamic farming. And that's why... You know, it's it's very obvious that, that we are doing this in China as well. Okay, awesome. Right, I'm going to get the next wine. I realized I didn't let anybody know about the white that I was drinking, the Blanc de Noir, Moser family. That is, I found a site online, tannico.co.uk, is selling it for £42.60. So for anyone who wants to experience this white Cabernet Sauvignon, now you know where to go. And I have got in my glass... The level down now. So the first level, this is the Helen Mountain range, which now people understand why it's called Helen Mountain uh, range, the Cabernet Sauvignon 2019. Can you tell me a little bit about this wine? Well, 2019 was a very, very good year. Okay. Uh, having said that, we experience basically very good years every year. It's just the degree of the sunshine is sometimes different phases of the cycle from spring to the autumn. Okay. So for instance, if we have more sun, sometimes that happens in the spring and in the summer, you get completely different wines than if you have more sun towards the end of the cycle, of the ripening cycle. Mm. And in 2019, we had more sun at the end. Okay. We had more heat. And that was very, very favorable for the tannin maturation in the, in the grapes. Mm-hmm. And therefore, we, we consider 2019 one of the best years in the last 10 years in Ningxia altogether. Okay, now, but you said that in general, it's quite reliable. So would you say, though, that there's no bad years? Absolutely. So, no, no. So far, I mean, I'm, I'm making now, it's my, last year has been my sixth uh, vintage, although I did it over the phone because I couldn't travel. <laughs> yeah. But uh, with my assistant, Emma, a young lady, very well trained Chinese lady, I think we've done a heck of a job together. Mm-hmm. And so we had uh, six vintages and maybe 2018 was not the greatest okay. vintage of, of all of them, but uh, still very good vintage so what we don't have is the spikes mm-hmm. um well no, we, we have spikes we have always have a good good year but we have spikes on on top quality okay uh we don't have these off years like the french or the italians or the austrians uh in in let's say 2013 in france was a disaster mm-hmm. also in austria was not really good in parts of Austria. Uh, this doesn't happen in, in, in China because, or in, in Nisha because it's relatively stable. You're absolutely right. Okay, good. Well, that's always good. And I love the fact that I'm drinking from the best vintage in the last decade. So um, yes. <laughs> does this, for me, it does have a slight savouriness and a little hint of oak. Are you putting it in a little bit of oak? Ah, good that you bring it up. <laughs> There's zero oak. Ah. Zero. But what it, what it so shows what you, it? and yeah. since you brought it up, 
um, it this shows what I was was telling you before mm -hmm. the small berries of Ningxia. With the there's tannins. so much tannins mm -hmm. in there. There's so much fruit and flavor in there that sometimes people mistake mm -hmm. our Helen Mountain for being aged in wood, which is not the case. I swear, <laughs> this is a hundred percent stainless steel. Absolutely, yeah. There's, wow. there's and it's it's for us for for economy. It's also good, but also from the marketing perspective, we want to show the consumer with this particular wine the true fruit of Ningxia, mm. completely un manipulated by anything yeah okay and so we have a couple of wines but this is the one which shows you what ningxia is all about and the small berry idea is, is shown best with with this particular wine now i just want to point out to everybody this is literally only 15 pounds 99 from Ocado, of course if you're in the uk which is great value and especially as it does have that maturity i said to you does it have a little bit it's a, it's almost like a, it's just a suggestion but it's so interesting that you said no now in terms of Cabernet Sauvignon from Ningxiao, for me, I'm actually, I'm still getting a bit of blackcurrant, but I'm actually getting more red fruits than I would normally expect from a Cabernet Sauvignon. A bit of red currant, maybe even, even a little cranberry. Is that normal or is this just my nose? <laughs> no, no. For this wine, you're absolutely spot on. Okay. Uh, what we go for is the red fruit as well as the black mm, currant as well. Okay. But uh, but the red fruit uh, with these particular vineyards is 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 the one which is more. We love it. We we love this wine because again, it's not a cerebral wine. It's a very friendly wine. You can pair it with a lot with lots of food, um, and 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 it's 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 a real charmer. Uh, and it gives you the true flavor of Ningxia. I, I always come back to this point because it's. Imagine a Bordeaux Cabernet Sauvignon not aged in wood, how harsh and how tannic this would come. Mm. But uh, through the altitude and through, you know, the, the, the massive sunshine hours in Ningxia, we are able to ripen this almost to the max without getting too much alcohol. But the most important thing is that we get the soft tannins in order not having to, to soften the tannins with, with wood aging or wood mm. chipping or whatever, because this wine has only contact with stainless steel and nothing else. I For me, they're, they're big tannins, but they're still, as you said, soft, but like a, there's a chalkiness to them, a, a slight earthiness. It makes me want to get a big portobello mushroom. That's what I actually want with it right now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely Obviously yeah. meat as well. Let's go. I could do it with a really amazing. In fact, why not a big burger with a big mushroom inside of it? <laughs> oh, my God. Are you hungry? I'm dreaming of five guys. Oh. No, I'm, I'm dreaming of my favorite diet, which is when mm -hmm. I come to the States and I get to, to five guys. And then I'll have if, you know, I have an off night. Mm -hmm. I go to my hotel and I have a, a good glass of wine with it. Then I'm in heaven. There you go, everyone. You go to Ocado, $15.99, get a bottle of this, go to Five Guys, less than a tenner, get an amazing burger, and you're sorted for the night. Bit of Netflix, somebody nice next to you. Perfect oh, evening. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> but um, for me, yeah, yeah just... I mentioned all those kind of, it's lovely fruits. What I like is that actually the nose has a real freshness, but actually on the palate, there's a little bit more concentration of fruit. So a bit more powerful, but it's a really good balance between concentrated fruit and then that slightly savory, mushroomy, even, I don't want to go as far as leather, but that was what was kind of giving me that, mm, is it oat? Is it not oat? So yeah, no, great, great wine. Yep. Yummy. Now, is there any regulations in Ningxia? So this is obviously still a quite new region. Do they control the yields for winemakers or what can be planted or aging requirements? Is there anything there? Well, uh, not officially at this stage, mm -hmm. uh, yet what, what we do at the Chateau, uh, that's why we call it also Chateau, because I don't disguise the fact that we're working a along European regulations okay. and the French in particular. Mm -hmm. So when I when I took over in 2015, we basically uh, follow French rules on, on, on the Chateau operation. So that means you will see on, on every bottle there's a stamp um, on the right hand corner uh, and it says estate bottled. So that means that we, we, yes. we this is grapes from the vineyards, it's bottled at the estates, it's done under, under my supervision as well. But there's, as I said, there's a team, so you have three th signatures on the back. Uh, two of my colleagues and therefore we take this very very serious because you have only one currency to build this and this is trust of the consumer mm. so uh, pff, 
I, I don't have to follow any regulations, but I'm a hands-off winemaker, which uh, sometimes is criticized in China because you can do much more on the technical side, mm -hmm. on the chemical side with wine. But I trust in in the berries, in the grapes we produce in the vineyards. And then basically I let, let them do their job uh, during fermentation. Yes, we inoculate, but that's about all we do. Mm -hmm. And so for me is the, the, the perfect grape is the goal. Winemaking is practically done by itself. Of course, we do inoculate and we do temperature control. We, we don't cook the wines, but that's about it, what we're doing. Fining is not a big thing. Sulfuring is not a big thing because we work with yeast uh, as, as protections for the wine until we bottle and so on and so forth. Okay. So it's a very natural process in the cellar as it should be. Good. Well, it's interesting to know that even though Ningxia is not doing it, you basically are bringing the European rules across <laughs> so people know what they're going to Yeah, do. But, but we have about 10 other top wineries. Five of them are run by ladies, by the way, uh, by yeah. female winemakers. And, <laughs> and we all have the same passion and the same ethos, if you yeah, like, okay. um, trying to make the best of China and also being able to compete with the best of the world. Um, and and it's, it's a very friendly competition we are having. We know each other. We like each other. We, we partly we are friends because I, I travel five times a year to, to the winery, mm -hmm. spend about three months a year at the winery uh, in a normal year. And, and so we get together and, 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 and we share the same passion for bringing China to the world at the end of the day. And mm. this is something which for me in my lifetime was, was a one of a kind to start from zero. Yeah. From China and and now we are on wine lists in, across London and across Europe as well, uh, which gives us a lot of pride. Absolutely. Well, for anyone who wants to know, sixty-seven pound mouse stocks your wines, don't they? Sexy fish, yep. Mandarin Oriental. Yep. Yeah, some pretty yep. decent restaurants. Would you say then that the whole of Chinese winemaking is really being lifted? Because I think before, a lot of Chinese wine was not concentrated enough and was being put in way too much oak. That was kind of the focus, the way it was going. The way of winemaking must be shifting now. No, massively. And 2015 was definitely a watershed mm. uh, vintage in China when uh, at our chateau, but at also at other, other great estates across the country, uh, a lot of people basically made a conscious decision to go for quality. Okay. But I think the, the defining moment in 2015 was that all of us started to harvest about two weeks later because the wines ah, okay. before or pre-15 were too herbaceous because of harvesting too early. And the simple trick was to postpone the vintage uh, by about two weeks in order to give it more maturity of the tannins. Mm -hmm. And, and also more alcohol because you had Cabernet Sauvignon with 12 alcohol and, mm -hmm. uh, and herbaceous. And I tell you, tell you one thing, if you put this in, 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 in New Barrique, then you have uh, a very nasty cocktail at the end. <laughs> the wines are made for, for eternity because they will take 100 years to age. But um, commercially, this is not a good proposition. So uh, the main players in China, uh, I think, did a great job from 2015 onwards. And... Let me add that the French um, threw in their towel as well with our Yun from Yunnan, mm -hmm. which is the, the most expensive wine uh, in China, from China, made by purely French people uh, down in the south at, at 2,300 meters altitude, which I think is great for us because it's, it's very good competition. And to have the French uh, from Bordeaux on board in China is, is fantastic. Yeah. And, and last year, uh, long die from Chateau Lafitte was was yes, um, was launched course. for the first time. This again is helping us enormously because it enhances the credibility of a country if the French invest in a foreign country like China. Now, obviously, Cabernet Sauvignon is the main grape variety. I know you plant mainly Cabernet Sauvignon. Are you planting? Am I right? A little bit of Merlot in Syrah or not? Yes, correct. Yes, we have at the winery, we have uh, some vineyards, but they, they were younger vineyards. That's why we haven't been using them until the 2019 vintage to blend. Okay. But the blends will not be released for the next one year or so from 2019. So therefore, um, this remains to be seen how we blend them in. Okay. But until now, we only had Cabernet Sauvignon. And what about Marsalan? Because this grape variety seems to be doing quite well in China. Are you That's open the to latest it? craze. I know. And I'm very happy about it. Yeah, no, no, everybody's talking about You're not happy, yeah. or you are happy. 
No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm always pro innovation anyway. Yeah. And, and I'm always pro differentiation because marketing uh, a wine on a global basis is all about difference. Mm -hmm. uh, am I able to provide to the consumer something which is different from, let's say, Bordeaux, from Australia, from Napa, from Chile and so on? I think this is so important to give the, the consumer a different proposition. And what Marcelin does for us, or will be doing in the future in particular, is, is, is being a very, very good blending component. Mm -hmm. My personal opinion is that it's as a standalone, it might be too weak. Okay. As a top wine to, to compete with, with you know, a, a nice Cabernet Sauvignon blend from Bordeaux or Cabernet from, from Napa or anywhere else. So I think uh, from the blending perspective, it's 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 a wonderful addition to the mm. mix. But that's about it. Okay. But it, it, it's enough to give us a point of difference and a different taste profile for the future. Because the, f the future of China winemaking, to my taste or to my opinion, is very clear. We want to make something which is different from the rest of the pack. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And ideally, if you smell into a glass of Chateau Chengyu Mose 15 or from Ningxia altogether in the next five to 10 years, you know immediately where it comes from. Like if you sniff a, a glass of Bordeaux, you know immediately it's Bordeaux mm -hmm. without even too much knowledge. Yeah. So this sort of typicity and authenticity all of us are working on. Okay, this is exciting. We well, just I want to point out as well for anyone listening, Marcelin is actually a crossing of Cabernet Sauvignon and Grenache, just in case anyone doesn't know, which is why I think it could really work if you're growing Cabernet Sauvignon anyway. And of course, Grenache loves heat, you think, with lots of sunshine. Yep. So we'll, yep. we'll see. I'm intrigued. I'll, I will keep following these wines for the next five years and see if Ningxia has its identity. Absolutely. Identity is the right word. You're absolutely right. Now, okay. I'm very, very excited and I am so humbled that you sent me a bottle of what you call purple air comes from the east. <laughs> I am so excited. You have no idea. This wine is phew, premium. I just want to set the scene for everybody. Anyone in England, if you want to get this, this is £200 a bottle from Hedonism. So it's available. This is the 2016 vintage. This is the first vintage you have released. Am I correct? Yes. Okay. Now I'm going to just give it a little go now because I've put it in a glass about an hour ago, just as we started. So super, I'm hoping super, now yeah. it is singing, but can you tell me this is 100% Cabernet Sauvignon? Yes, true. With a decent amount of new oak. This is like two years, right? New yeah, oak. it's absolutely two years in, in new French oak only. And it's 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 a dream come true for me because mm. it already back in 2015, I, I was dreaming of an icon uh, to the Chateau. Yeah. Because we knew that the French were coming. <laughs> uh, we knew that they will be uh, very expensive. Uh -huh. And uh, we knew that we had to come up uh, with something to rub shoulders with our French cousins, as, as we always uh -huh. say. And um, I was at the time in 2015 in the summer. I, I was on a after the wine after the uh, after the the harvest. It, it was still warm in the south in, in China, Qingdao. Chinese calligraphy gave me this calligraphy of purple air comes from these these four letters on the label. Mm. And um, I saw him paint this. It took him about half an hour to do these four characters with a thick brush. Mm -hmm. It's supposed to about two meters wide. Uh, sitting in my home in Austria uh -huh. and uh, I, purple is my favorite color. Ah, purple hence air some of the labels. From, yeah, okay, yeah okay. it's always the same thing. Mm -hmm. And then um, I can't disguise it. Wine is very personal mm -hmm. at the end of the day. And then therefore um, I was, and purple air comes from the East means basically all, all the love, the, the power, the richness and everything always comes from across uh, the East China Sea to, to mainland China. And it's a very, very positive metaphor for luck and fortune. And therefore, I picked this for, for this wine, even if people sometimes say it's a cumbersome name, but basically everybody's calling it purple air anyway. <laughs> and um, so I had the dream at the beginning. In 15, I didn't have the grapes for it yet. It was my maiden vintage. So I, I was very cautious. In 16, uh, I designated some, some vineyards to blend from. And it worked with, with proper barrel management and everything. And I'm really lucky with the result. So we are, we are at the moment, we are blending uh, 17 to be released this, this autumn. Mm. And so this will be the next one to be released. It's so luscious, 
So whereas the other one was just juicy fruits and there was a savory nature, this has got a real sweetness on the nose, like this kind of vanilla espresso note with like a, a menthol, like a minty touch to it. And then there's again the blackberries, but this kind of red cherries or a red fruit nature coming through actually. So that's I find that really interesting with your Cabernet Sauvignons, but hang on. Wait, let's do, let me taste it. <laughs> again, yeah. again yeah. it's good. Mm. It's powerful, but most importantly, it's really, really refined, really fresh. There's, it's not a fruit bomb at all. I, w- I want to, it just gets to full bodied, if anything. And the tannins are really, really fine grained with it. It's a really, really, it's smooth. I want to say it's smooth and it's elegant. It's an iron fist with a velvet glove. Mm-hmm. What do I mean? That's There's exactly underlying it. a mm-hmm. lot of lot of stuff going on, a yeah. lot of tenons, uh, potentially tough tenons, but they have been so elegant and so mm-hmm. refined and so smooth. Um, and they have been smoothed also by, by two years in new oak. And therefore, uh, it was fun to blend different parcels of, of, of two vineyards, basically, all around the chateau or immediately at the chateau. I think at the end of the day, what you do as a winemaker, you create uh, as many different lots or pots of wine in order to blend uh, the wine you have in your head. Mm-hmm. And and I, the result of this particular wine is almost what I had it intended to do. Um, I say always almost because 100% is, is almost never doable. But it's the first of a kind uh, for the Chateau and it's also something I think will be or I'm, I'm convinced that this is the future of winemaking in Incha much more uh, towards elegance and away from blockbusters. Mm. It's it's beautiful. It's got this like milk chocolate prune edge. So prunes covered in milk chocolate on the edge. But I say prunes, but just a touch of that that finishes. But the rest of it is beautiful, fresh, luscious vibrant and smooth yeah velvety but intense yummy well done well done lens cheers thank you thank you oh now i'm going to finish off because i need some time with this wine sorry i gotta go okay very good very good (laughs) but as a really inspirational amazing winemaker with a lot of experiences yourself if anyone is listening to this now and they're thinking about getting into winemaking or they themselves are already studying to be a winemaker. What advice would you give to somebody just starting out? Well, I think um, wine and winemaking and wine marketing is is a decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and don't go I- into into this field if you if you want to make lots of money, unless you're <laughs> from Mondavi and you're lucky to start a winery with $50,000 and sell it 40 years later for $1.4 billion. Nicely done. This is not going to happen on a regular basis, <laughs> quite frankly. But I, but it's but it's there. I mean, if, you, if, you're, if you're very successful, it is. But what, what the defining difference um, for me in wine is if you have the passion for excellence and if mm-hmm. you have the passion to, to, to bring something to people uh, which brings people together and people can enjoy over a meal, uh, over, over over a group of friends or something. I think this is something which makes me tick every morning. And I have a lot of friends who make uh, and made a lot of lot more money than me and they were in the industry or in other, other professions. But at the end of the day, uh, when we get together, they are always a little bit jealous because <laughs> I'm the guy who who always orders the wine, who orders the food for people, does the perfect wine and food pairing, and as a result, we have always wonderful evenings together. And, and, and this is something which makes me tick. Wine is, is all about, as Bob Mondavi, again, let me quote him, said, it's <laughs> all about the good life. It's all uh, about because good life. It's, it's in, in our civilization, it definitely enhances, uh, enhances a meal, uh, an evening. Or as, as a Texan lady said in a focus group 15 years ago, when I was watching behind the mirror a focus group um, uh, to to uh, on a market research uh, for Mondavi wines at the time, and, and and this lady said on the question, well, what does wine for you? And she said, oh my God, this is this is easy. 
So seven o'clock is so much better than six o'clock when I come home after my first glass of wine. <laughs> so, uh, you know, winding down a day, uh, doing a nice dinner together. So you can, of course, you can do it with, with syrup and, and, and water or Coca-Cola. It's, it's all good. Yeah. And, and wine is not a must every day. Uh, but um, it makes it makes life so much better. And that's why China yeah, embraces the idea itself now about drinking wine and following a little bit more our lifestyle. Um, there's a reason why Europe is, is a happy continent. And um, and also the UK is, is a happy country because we have a good wine culture. And that's part of our, our, our lives, maybe not daily, but once or twice a week, it really enhances uh, gatherings and, 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 and meals. And that's a reason for me to work for. So if you're prepared, long story short, if you're prepared uh, to, to follow your your profession with passion and of course with expertise and putting in the extra hour, this, the extra effort, then go for it because it's, it's rewarding. Mm. It's unbelievable. I, I never looked back since I was six years old. My decision was clear. I'm a wine guy. And I'll die as a wine guy. Love it. Lens, thank you so much for bringing us such delicious wines. Now you can rest tonight knowing that I'm going to be very happy this evening. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I'm glad you do. I'm glad you are. Thank you very much indeed. Fantastic. Lens, you're amazing. Superstar. Thank you. Thank All you. the best. Thank you. Talk soon. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. There really is nothing better than inspiring winemakers. And seeing as for Lenz, Robert Mondavi was an inspiring winemaker for him. I shall find one of his very famous quotes. Now, if you want to know a little bit more about Robert Mondavi, you can hear about him on my podcast, episode 41, Wines of Napa Valley. So go there. But for the wine quote to finish off, the one he's most known to have said is, wine to me is passion. It's family and friends. It's warmth of heart and generosity of spirit. So if any of you are feeling extra warm of heart, please do make sure you leave me a comment, like, share and subscribe, all the usual, because that helps the podcast become more discoverable. You're all amazing. I wish you all a fantastic week and cheers to you.